leading a startup team, whether you're delivering a sugar rush, stocking coffee, or getting a regular delivery of snacks, Office Depot has solutions that fit every startup culture, from getting those first business cards and stationery to ordering fleece pullovers with your new logo. To learn how Office Depot and the California Technology Council have partnered to bring you savings on all of these startup essentials and more, go to californiatechnology.org forward slash member benefits. I'm Daniel Levine, and this is the Bio Report. The ability to manipulate and understand biology at the molecular level, coupled with powerful computing capabilities, is opening up new possibilities to harness technology to improve human health. The OS Fund is focused on investing in entrepreneurs developing platform technologies that have the ability to address global problems. We spoke to Brian Johnson, co-founder of the OS Fund, about his investment vision what it takes to attract his eye, and how he sees these platform technologies reshaping the world of healthcare and beyond. Brian, thanks for joining us. I appreciate you having me. Thank you. We're going to talk about the OS Fund platform technologies and whether we're going to see long-expected changes to Research, diagnosis, drug development, and treatment materialize as a result. Let's start with the OS Fund, though. What was it created to do, and how much money is backing it? I started OS Fund because I think that we we, we have some very challenging problems we're facing. Uh, for example, climate change. And in order for us to address these problems on the time scale that's relevant, we need to have the right tools. And OS Fund was my observation that the most powerful tools that we'll need to solve these problems are actually, uh, can't be seen by the naked eye. They're actually at the level of atoms and molecules and organisms. And so OS Fund invests in these kinds of hard sciences, companies building uh, with those to solve really big problems. You're investing in the life sciences, but seem to have a, a technology investor sensibility. You were founder of the e-payment system Braintree, which you sold to PayPal. The name OS here refers to operating systems, but in this context, you're thinking of operating systems of life. Why the name OS Fund? Yeah, that's right. Maybe the easiest way to explain this would be to change a picture for you. So imagine that you're looking at a picture of a person's desk, and on it, you see the latest MacBook Pro, a set of headphones, a smartphone, a camera, a camera lens, a mouse, and a plant. And if I ask most people, in looking at this table, what is the most advanced technology you see? And most people respond that it's the MacBook Pro or a smartphone. Very few people see that actually it's the $4 house plant that is the most 
the most uh, impressive technology. It is a biodegradable, carbon-capturing, self-replicating, solar-powered work of art. And so the fact that the common shrub is more advanced than the, the latest MacBook Pro is overlooked by almost everyone. And the reason why that's the case is you can't see the inner workings of this shrub with the naked eye. But inside, you have a bunch of nanomachines that uh, run uh, this remarkable thing. And so OS Fund is a frame to observe that the systems that run our world, the operating systems, are at the atomic, molecular, and organism level. And they're the things we just don't see with our eyes, and therefore we prioritize less. And so that was the idea that when I invested $100 million in this fund, it was to make this observation that if we really want to solve our biggest problems, we need to rewrite the operating systems of the world so that, for example, we could get to a point where we could make a smartphone that is as green as a tree. Or you figure out how to charge nine ninety nine a month for a houseplant. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> How do you see the OS fund fitting into the more traditional world of life science venture capitalists? Do they welcome you as a co-investor? Do you think differently than they do? First, when, when most people hear about you know, quote-unquote science investing, they have these biases where they think that the company is going to require at least a couple hundred million dollars of funding, that it's likely a decade-long time scale. There's a binary outcome of risk that's either going to fail or uh, succeed in a big way, and that's probably riding some kind of hype cycle. And the reality that most people don't realize is that there's been a revolution in biology that has dramatically lowered the cost. Uh, in fact, the, the law that has driven most of the gains in computation is Moore's law, this idea that the doubling every uh, with, with computers, with uh, transistors. And with biology, the cost of biology has actually come down more. So it cost a billion dollars to sequence the first uh, human genome around the year 2000, and next year it'll be around $200. This dramatic reduction in cost of reading biology has enabled companies to be low cost and to bring it to market much faster with a lot less money. And then if you look on the ability to write DNA, so not just take what nature has done, but actually design uh, DNA uh, proteins, for example, that's also coming down in cost quite dramatically. And so it's this combination that enables the investment in uh, quote-unquote sciences, I call it deep tech, which is the marriage of hard science and uh, technology, that allows these companies to basically go to market and have, have a product to market in a matter of one to three years, to have revenue within that time frame, and to have real products in the world that are actually world-changing within that time frame. And so it's more akin to the time frames, the capital costs, and the risk profile that you see in, in traditional technology. And that's just something that not a lot of investors are aware of. What's the range of technologies the OS Fund invests in? We invest in, in platform-like technologies. So, for example, an organism uh, design. So we invested in a company called Ginkgo Bioworks, and they basically design microorganisms to do things otherwise done in nature. So, for example, in a, in a Chanel de 5 bottle of perfume, there's an input of 1,000 rose petals. To get those rose petals, you have to grow the actual rose bushes in a field, fertilize them, water them, harvest them, and then get the, the rose oil out of it. 
the alternative way the Ginkgo uh, has figured out is you take the DNA that's in the rose, uh, rose uh, plant and you put that in a microorganism like yeast. Like we know, for example, yeast makes uh, beer. Uh, so you can program the microorganism of yeast to have it output rose oil. So instead of having to grow them in a field and harvest them and have all those environmental costs of doing that, you can do it in a lab. And that's the same thing people are seeing, with, for example, with uh, synthetic meat production. Instead of raising a cow, harvesting the cow and getting the meat, you can actually make it through biological processes. And so this revolution of being able to program biology to do the things we already do today, just in a more environmental-friendly, lower-cost, high-quality way, is a really big opportunity for just about everything in the entire world. What do you look for in a company or technology? One is that the, the entrepreneur is looking at these technologies as platform-like abilities. So just like the computer is, I'd say, is a platform. You can use a computer for any number of tasks in the world. And the same thing with these technologies, if you can build, if you can program a microorganism to do rose oil, you can also do it to do a, fra- uh, a flavor and to do uh, for medicines, like to, to produce medicines inside your body. There's innumerable, innumerable things you can do. So one is we invest in entrepreneurs to understand that they can build a core technology platform that can, that you can, they can be used for just about anything in the entire world. And that enables them to de-risk uh, what things they can take to market, on uh, what time frames. It enables the impact to scale even more broadly, allows them to learn key lessons on doing this. And then I'd say also that the, the entrepreneur is oriented towards uh, bringing things to the world that will benefit the lives of billions of people. And that's one thing that all of our companies have in common is that their products can be scaled to billions in a, in a very quick, very rapid way. Like for example, like one of the things that uh, Ginkgo's doing is another example is they're building uh, self-fertilizing plants. We're currently the manufacturing of fertilizer and the application of fertilizer poses a huge environmental cost in terms of the carbon emissions and the environmental damage. And so they're trying to eliminate that their entire need to even manufacture or uh, distribute that, that fertilizer. Are you agnostic about stage? Are you an early stage investor? We typically start uh, we have no problems being first money in. Uh, we could typically come in with a $500,000 check in the seed stage. Most of the companies we work with have received some form of non-dilutive funding from the government. And so they've been able to get themselves through most of the de-risking and then they're now ready to commercialize the product. What's the target size of your investments? We range from you know, 500000 to $25 million. So we're willing to go up and down. We just led the, the Series C of Ubiome, which is a company that basically invented the microbiome industry five years ago. We invested in their, in their seed round. Uh, the observation there is that we, we are made of, made up of roughly 60 trillion cells, 60, 30 trillion bacterial cells, 30 trillion human cells. And we don't know very much about, uh, the 30 trillion non-human cells that make us up, including, uh, the, the bacteria that's in our gut, which plays a huge role in our health, and we just never had the ability to, to, sa- to sample that and get a good snapshot of what's going on and what is healthy and not healthy and the consequences of our health. And so they've created the ability to test your microbiome. They also have a test for women, a uh, vaginal swab that uh, tests 19 different strains of HPV and uh, also uh, STDs. 
and also the vaginal uh, ecology. And so a woman can uh, be informed on her health. And so it's companies like this that, again, are able to, once you acquire this, this biome, you know, the microbiome or, or vaginal biome or a mouse, then it's applicable to anything, your diet, the, the, uh, the drugs you take, uh, the environment you're around, what you can do to, to remedy uh, your, your body immediately. What's the case for investing in platform technologies? I think it's, it's the example I would compare would be 1978. In 1978, uh, there were a few companies who understood that a revolution was upon us in computing. And those companies were Intel, Apple, Microsoft, Oracle, the giants of technology today. And they realized in building uh, on silicon with chips and with computers and software that basically you could give businesses tools to do remarkable things in the world. Well, I think it's basically it's 1978 all over again. It's we're in a different era of the ability to engineer atoms, molecules, organisms, and complex systems. And in the same way that these companies have come to be the dominant, most dominant companies in the world and change everything that we do, the same thing is going to be true of these companies. So we think that companies like uh, Geeko Bioworks, which is doing organism design, and Arzita, which is doing protein design, and Ubiome, which is doing the micro, uh, you know, our biome, that we think that these guys will produce the platforms that will change everything, not just from our health, but basically everything that's made. Uh, that's our smartphones, our cars, any other physical product. They're all, they all have input that these guys are producing. And this is oftentimes why, for example, I identify that if you, if you assess a big problem like climate change and you say, how in the world are we ever going to get our, our heads around this problem, like make any progress? And if you look at the, how most people think about this thing, the first reaction most people have is they look to politicians and say, please do something, but they get mad. Because you know, politicians, like, it's hard to expect a progress from politicians. And so we kind of give up on that path, and people are like, okay, what can, I do my, what can I do for myself? And they say, well, I can recycle, and maybe I can buy an electric car. Uh, and then after that, there's not really very many things they can do. Things they're aware of, for example, like we hope that wind and solar uh, are able to make progress. But really, that's a wind and solar energy. So transportation is a very small portion. It's 14% of our global emission. And so if you actually... Uh, try to reduce the problem of how we're going to solve climate change in the relevant time frame, you need to change manufacturing and agriculture. You need to figure out how to make fertilizers differently. You need to, ha- you need to figure out how to make physical products differently. So for example, one of our companies is trying to replace petrochemicals uh, you know, uh, for an input into all things we do, like all our plastics, of course, are driven by petrochemicals. We're trying to replace that with corn. And so the, the problem becomes how do you enable people to live the life they live today without expecting them to change behavior and without expecting our politicians to answer to do anything. And how do we basically solve the problem on the time scale? And that's what I think the promise of these companies we're investing in can do. Is there a consistent business model in the companies you invest in or these service companies? They all need to, every company we invest in needs to develop a first-to-market product to demonstrate that they can do it, that it's viable, that it's uh, long-term stable, and every company has a different approach. Uh, if you're, and, the, and basically we try to uh, walk through this process to figure out what is the lowest hanging fruit, what is the biggest market, and what has the least barriers to entry. 
uh, to do a media proof of concept. And then they can over time take, take on more complicated things. Like for example, Ginkgo uh, started with something very simple like a fragrance or a flavor. And I don't want to call engineering and microorganisms easy. So I'm just saying, uh, comparatively, there's like a one out of 10 on the complexity scale. They've, since they've matured as a company, they're now doing things much more complex, like doing self-fertilizing plants. But they had to work their way up that complexity scale. Oftentimes we see entrepreneurs, entrepreneur scientists, oftentimes have a, a proclivity, a disposition, because they're taught this during the academic years, to go after a nature paper type win, like something that is uh, really impressive for the scientific community, but a long ways away from commercialization. So we oftentimes encourage entrepreneurs to do the most boring, basic, obvious thing they could do that gets to market and makes money and proves that they, they can actually execute. I'd say the investment you've described broadly relate to synthetic biology. Are there investment in platforms you've made that you think will address some of the problems with drug discovery and development today that could address issues of time or cost of development? Yeah, we have several companies we've invested in that are computational drug discovery companies uh, with that exact objective. How do you basically uh, identify drug targets faster and cheaper and how do you increase the probability that those are going to work when they come when the company do it? So they're basically trying to tackle uh, how to bring down the cost and time and risk of developing a drug. Uh, on your question, though, we're doing more things in synthetic biology. For example, we invested in this company called Numat in Chicago that is designing uh, molecules one atom at a time. And so the uh, molecules, of course, are very important and they perform a lot of vital functions. Uh, what they can do, they work with what's called metal organic frameworks, which is also been known as uh, nanotechnology because you're assembling things atomically. Uh, they can uh, they can create a molecular structure that allows gas to be stored at 80 times the density the otherwise could, with the same canister, same distribution than you otherwise would. And so they are bringing a new toolkit in chemistry that allows the creation for new materials and new opportunities that uh, classic chemistry just has not been able to do. And so we do span you know, biology and genetics and chemistry slash materials. But it's basically platforms that can address all things. One of the things I think we see a lot with platform technology companies, particularly in the drug development space, is that the only way they can see value is in a molecule they produce rather than the platform itself. Uh, and frequently what will happen is these companies will be acquired for that molecule and then the platforms may disappear. Is there an issue for you as an investor on how you realize value in platform companies? And, and do you think these companies will create value and succeed as platforms? We hope so, and we invest in entrepreneurs who are inherently are approaching this problem. We we don't invest in companies that have a single application. So if a company comes to us and they say we can we have this molecule uh, for this disease, uh, we wouldn't do it because it's too risky for us. It's, it's a binary outcome. If a company, for example, says we have a computational platform that enables companies to identify targets. Uh, 
uh, faster, cheaper, better than everything else is not something that is, that is of interest to us. And so I think that if these companies do get acquired uh, over time, I suspect the acquiring company will value above all, not just the molecules, but the the platform, the computational abilities the company has built that allows them to continually iterate faster than everyone else. So, for example, another company we're working with is uh, Syntego. They're trying, they're working on uh, gene editing uh, via CRISPR. And so they're uh, they're trying to, right now a gene therapy is around a million dollars. They're trying to get gene therapy down to a thousand dollars. They're trying to do the same thing for gene therapy that's been done in sequence of the genome. Now, to imagine if we could cost-effectively and reliably uh, edit genes, that implication is not just relevant for our health and wellness, but for agricultural and everything else. And so I think that someone, for example, would be interested in buying Syntego or investing in Syntego in, in a public market because they enable the entire ecosystem of gene editing to benefit from their platform of reliably and, and, and reliably and through a low-cost method do gene editing. Where do you think these technologies stand to have the biggest impact, and what problems do you think the companies you're investing in are going to be best able to solve? It, that's a great question, and I think there's, there's probably two ways to answer it. One is each of these companies we're working with has ideas today on where their technologies might be applicable. So in, in the case of Ginkgo, uh, it's creating self-fertilizing plants and sweeteners and fragrances and things like that. But the thing that we are most excited about is once you create the ability to engineer, producing engineer, atoms, molecules, organisms, then basically you create this opportunity for surprise. So in the same way that the printing press uh, could never have, you could never have printed, uh, exactly, uh, forecasted the, the books that would be written because of the printing press or the things that would be enabled by the internet, or things that people would do on computers, I think the same is true. Like, if you can design a protein, like, for example, like in, uh, the protein in plants that is responsible for, for uh, photosynthesis, the kids who take in carbon dioxide and, and uh, without oxygen, is only 50% efficient because it evolved 2 billion years ago when the Earth was oxygen-starved. And so if you have the ability to redesign fundamental components of nature as we live into it today, I think we are put in a position of great opportunities to be surprised by the utility. And so I hold out that the things I know of today and things I can imagine are not even the beginning of the true potential of what these companies will actually accomplish as they mature. Brian Johnson, founder of the OS Fund. Brian, thanks so much for your time today. Thank you. Thanks for listening. The Bio Report is a production of the Levine Media Group. To automatically download this podcast each week, subscribe to our RSS feed or through iTunes or other podcast manager. To join our mailing list, go to levinemediagroup.com. We'd love to hear from you. If you want to drop us a line or are interested in sponsoring this podcast, send an email to danny at levinemediagroup.com. Special thanks to Jonah Levine, who composed our theme music, and the Jonah Levine Collective, which performs it.